Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I am your host on this, our weekly radio show about letting the workplace speak. And as you know, in each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that. We explore, we describe, we celebrate the principles and practices concepts and the tools, the methods and the strategies, the people and the results of workplace visuality, the technologies of the visual workplace and how they help us let the workplace speak. Mm-hmm. And the outcome is visual transparency, informational transparency, cultural alignment, marvelous increases in productivity and quality, linearity, flow, and a robust, spirited, and engaged workforce on all levels. Not just value-add associates, but everyone. You too. (laughs) You too, whoever you are. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com for free articles and podcasts. Podcasts of my radio show, this very show, and my books and the products and services we deliver on site as we help companies convert to workplace visuality. Yep. And uh, please be in touch as you want to. If you want to learn more about our services or just want to say hello, please email us at radio at visualworkplace.com. We'd love to know what you're doing and how you're doing and how you're doing it. We are always happy to help. Thank you. So today, today begins as a solution. A solution and I hope good news for you. I know it is good news for me. I recently talked to you about how much this show, Visual Workplace Radio, means to me. I don't just like it, I love it. I cherish it as a way to connect with you, as a way, frankly, to touch the world and bring to it my work, this wonderful work of discovering and codifying the technologies of the visual workplace, workplace visuality, the language of work, the visual language of work, the embedded language of work. I love it. I love my show. And by the way, I want to say this includes visual management. But as you have heard me say many times, the field of visuality includes much more than just simply visual management, which is a subset of the umbrella of visuality. You've heard me name the other technologies, visual displays and production control boards, visual standards, visual machine, the visual lean office, visual leadership, including visual metrics, visual problem solving, and Hoshin. You've heard me talk about embedded quality, pokey oak. Thank you, Dr. Shingo. And yes, visual management. I've talked about it a lot. And operator-led visuality what I call work that makes sense. And work that makes sense has great relevance to this conversation we're having today. So I love sharing all these formulations and methods with you and the infrastructure that supports them, the management support that is needed, the way to handle the training, how to set up the arc of learning, 
all of that, all the permutations and implications and applications and results. Mm-hmm. This is what I talk about in my radio show. And it's simply glorious. I love it. The challenge, however, is that I also have an active practice that is not my radio show, but it is the research, the development, the hands-on practice that I bring to my clients all over the world. And it is time-intensive. We conduct, I conduct, affiliates also conduct, our affiliates, complete visual conversions. And I do keynotes and on-site briefings and visual site assessments and greenfield assessments and on and on and so forth and so on. This is all a glory. I love it. But when? When will I have time and the headspace to get ready for my wonderful radio show with you? You know, sometimes I write up these shows and sometimes I sketch them out in a profile, but all the time I think about it. I think about what is it that I want to bring to you. And, of course, I want to bring the best. So, with all of this kind of trotting around my head, I was, over the holidays, on the verge of deciding to throw in the towel, of just knowing I can't do it all. I have to give up something. And the radio show is so different from, let's say, the normal flow of my work work. I have to kind of be pretty precise and pretty designed about it. So I was ready to throw in the towel. I told you this a few weeks ago. And that thought just hurt my heart, and I realized I couldn't. And then I realized something else. I mean, this was like, this was a bolt of lightning. This was an epiphany. This was like the golden goose and his eggs, I should say her eggs, I think only female geese lay eggs, so her eggs, I realized I had the answer in my books, my books. I've written seven of them. Why not read my books to you as the radio show? Because I cover all the points, perhaps not quite as coherently as I do when I read my books. And I would add commentary, of course. I would always have some detour, interesting, I hope, some new discovery that I would want to share as the books, the pages of the books, would offer the opportunity to. And, you know, I love that idea, and I I presented it to you even though my books have hundreds of photos in them, they are still very word-oriented. One of the things I love about the visual workplace and my radio show is that I can share the visual solutions with you through my words. Oh boy, this has worked out really well. So I posited the question. This was, I think, three shows ago. It might have been two. I said, what do you think about this? Hey, would you send me an email? We got nearly 600 emails from you, and all of them said yes, varying parts of yes. Sometimes just yes, read the book. <laughs> Many times, yes, read the book, and they and you named Work That Makes Sense. That has certainly come up as a favorite book. And uh, I would have I would have done it with just two emails of encouragement, but 600? Oh, boy. (laughs) 
So that's what we're going to start today. Huh? Shall we do that? Shall we begin reading my book? I was, I, I, I am thrilled at this idea, not just because it's a solution, because these books represent years of work coalescing my, my learning and my teaching into words. And so we're going to do that today. We're going to begin with work that makes sense. And this will take such a load off of me because the structure is all already there. The book that you have chosen, Work That Makes Sense, focuses on operator-led visuality, which is where I cut my teeth back in 19, what was that, 1984 when I began. I began with the lowly friend of all improvement, 5S. And, you know, you've heard me say it before. I got stuck. It didn't really work. It didn't roll over. I had to push too much. People were not cooperating. Hairy, sweaty men and women <laughs> in manufacturing, they didn't like it and they didn't like me. And I, I, I never thought about giving up. But I was, shall we say, determined to figure out what I was doing wrong and what was right about the 5S form. And of course, what I discovered, and I've told you about this before as well, is that 5S was one of an array of interventions that Japanese companies put into place. And it was not the uh, tool of choice for in employee ownership. We did that here in the U.S. And then the Japanese kind of responded by saying, hey, you know, maybe we can use it like that as well. But they, the Japanese have so many other employee engagement tools and employee and get, and development tools. It wasn't 5S. 5S was about a technical change. Get it clean, make it clean, keep it clean, keep it orderly, make it orderly. <laughs> you know, the 5Ss. You look at them, there's... Very subtle differentiation between those S's. We have attempted here in the West to make gross differentiation. But if you look at the history of the form, that was our kind of innovation, as we're always given to do. To do. So Work That Makes Sense is the chosen book. And I'm going to begin at the beginning of it. And, and I think it will be very interesting. It certainly is interesting for me. I am interested in this solution. Thank you. And you, if you like it, let me know. I think I'll hear back from you. We have emailed all of you back. I'm sure you've gotten your, your emails. And thank you. So thank you. So, uh, and I also want to mention one other thing. I'm re, We're going to be... Uh, issuing a second edition of Work That Makes Sense probably within three months. We're working on it now. There are some major things that need to be changed, but basically the, the format is the correct one. And um, But those changes are important enough and for us to publish a second edition. And um, it's still a Shingo Prize winning book, and it will be... I think, even more worthy of that wonderful um, award when we do the second edition. And I will include those changes in our conversation. 
today and in the days to come, in the radio shows to come. <laughs> so we're going to begin work that makes sense. I'm, the, the book I have in hand, so to speak, although I've we've pulled the pages out so that we don't have to creak the book open, um, is, was published in 2011. In fact, I pr- published it in 2010, but the format was too small to see the pictures. That was a costly error, but we republished it the following year, 2011. So here we are in 2020, and it's time. So I'm going to begin from the beginning. I'm not going to read the table of contents, but I am going to um, start with the poem, the dedication in the poem, and then just kind of gloss over the, the large chunks, the chapters of the book. So, work that makes sense, operator-led visuality, is dedicated to the millions of value-adding employees who contribute their work lives to companies around the world and who want to do work that makes sense. And then on the same page is a a poem that I really favor in relationship to work that makes sense. I read it to you before. It's by Pablo Neruda, who was the poet laureate of the world. Uh, He's from Chile. He wrote in glorious Spanish. And the translation that I have is by a poet who has been important in my life. His name is David White, W-H-Y-T-E, who does wonderful work with poetry inside corporations. He's an Englishman from Yorkshire, and he used to, when I had classes and we went on hikes together, 20 or 30 of us through the English lakes, he had 400 poems inside of him, and he would just bring out these poems and start speaking them. He taught me to memorize poetry, and this is a poem that I memorized. When you memorize these poems, they start feeding you on the inside with their meaning. I found that to be really important to commit the poems to my mind and to my heart. So this one is called La Poesia, and it is a segment of a much, much longer poem. I'll read it in English since that is my language. And I tried it once in Spanish, and nobody understood a single word, and they blamed it on the poem. (laughs) So I'll do it in English. La Poesia. And something ignited in my soul, fever or unremembered wings, and I went my own way, deciphering that burning fire, and I wrote the first bare line, bare, without substance, pure foolishness, pure wisdom of one who knows nothing. And suddenly I saw the heavens unfastened and open. Neruda was talking about when he first began to write poetry. It came as a thunderclap. It was not his plan. It was not his intention. He did not know he had it in him. He simply began to create. This for me is a close parallel to, now I'm talking to you, to my experience when I began to bring to operators the opportunity 
to get visual, within a methodology to get visual about their work. And really, the heavens opened. The creativity that came from that was astonishing. And that began in, what, 1987 or 8, maybe 89, when I had failed so miserably at making a go at 5S. And I then began to emphasize the visual components. And this form, this work that makes sense, operator-led visuality, went under a 25-year development before I wrote this book. Let's see, I wrote in 2011, yeah, about 25 years. The failure was at the beginning, but then when I got the scent of it and I understood that operators had not only the ability but the call to create and recreate their workplace, to own it more deeply than I think, certainly than I at the time imagined, and I think companies can imagine, when I realized that this was a doorway to tremendous creativity and contribution and tremendous business benefit, everything that happened after that point began to feed the shape and the components of this methodology. It's been just wonderful. But let me continue with the book, with the format of the book, and read the forewords. And I'll let Brent Allen, who is uh, with whom I have worked and where, and I have brought him the methodology into his own company, I'll let him say it as well. Okay, Brent Allen worked for 30 years at Lifetime, a manufacturer of recreational furniture and kayaks and tables and chairs, which you probably have in your conference room. Lifetime is a major manufacturer of um, these products. And Brent Allen was their leader of strategic improvement. He was the vice president of operations and the leader of strategic improvement for 30 years. He And that's where I met him. He now has, he's kind of retired, but you know how that goes nowadays. He has started his own uh, coaching, training, and consulting company called Clear Aim Systems, and I recommend him to you highly, especially if you live in Utah. But I'm going to read his forward, and then after that I'll read a second forward by Rhonda Corvera, and we'll talk about her in a moment as well. So this is a forward by Brent Allen. And I think it's interesting. It's well worth your listen. So Brent writes, Many companies have a full box of improvement tools, Lean, Six Sigma, Kanban, 5S, TPM, to name just a few. When these are deployed, company leaders get results, often promising results. But these results are often not sustained. The solution, they are told, is to make sure the effort is operator-led. But that goal often seems even more elusive. A new business paradigm is required. In her book, Work That Makes Sense, WTMS, by the way, Gwendolyn Galsworth provides such a paradigm when she shares her comprehensive methodology for implementing the visual workplace through operators, operator-led. First, operators are shown specific procedures for implementing workplace visuality in their own area, from smart placement and the visual wear to mini systems and the four power levels of visual devices. 
great examples, great photograph, g- photographs, and systematic step-by-step methods show how. Galsworth teaches that how, that how, extremely well, providing chapter after chapter of the principles and techniques that operators need to drive out waste through visual solutions. This, the mechanics of visuality, is the first dimension of this excellent book. Remember, he's writing the forward to the book that I'll be reading. The book's second dimension is even more powerful, the cultural change and how leadership is widened to include operators. Galsworth does this better than I've seen anywhere else. In my book, my program or methodology, in any, I beg your pardon, in any book, any program or any methodology, I beg your pardon, Positing a new business paradigm for us to consider, she calls that leadership paradigm I-driven. At the heart of I-driven leadership is the realization that operators do not know how to lead because they have never been given the opportunity to learn to do so. Lifetime his company at the time, Lifetime manufactures a wide range of innovative lifestyle products. Thanks to 1,200 hardworking men and women, we are leader in several of those markets. After 30 years as an executive with this fine company, I am convinced that most supervisors would love to get their operators to take on more responsibility and make more decision decisions. Their question is how? Managers and operators want the same thing, but how do we get it? I found the answer. One I had sought for for a long time in Galsworth's implementation framework. A successful continuous improvement work culture much, must find the balance point between structure and free will. This is at the heart of Galsworth's eye-driven approach, her approach to visuality, and her approach to creating a work culture for excellence. Her book clearly identifies what category of decisions operators can and cannot make. In the week-long WTMS training for trainers that Galsworth led at Lifetime, I saw this in action when operators were presenting a list of visual improvement projects they had identified. She asked them to circle the ones they could do and the ones that were managements. They did, taking on many tasks as their own. I was taken aback. This is Brent speaking. I was taken aback. Prior to that, not only operators, but managers would have listed all of them as management's job. I suddenly realized that the answer to the question, who gets to lead, is about giving operators permission, time, and authority to lead. To lead what? To lead themselves. Once given, operators willingly accept and met and meet that challenge. Once given, operators willingly accept and meet that challenge. The fact that Galsworth's approach has structure, shape, rules, and accountability provides managers a way to contribute to continuous improvement and to excel. 
you need to retain structure so the place doesn't get blown up, <laughs> says, says Brent. And in order to communicate an abiding respect for managers and their legitimate role, that same structure allows operators to freely determine how they want to fulfill their own need to contribute and excel, operator-led visuality. A spirited and engaged workforce is not about anti-management. It is about a system where both sides of the equation succeed. It is not either or, but both. This is a great definition of teamwork. And yet a third element is needed and also found in this exceptional book, the one that gets added to teamwork so the enterprise can grow to a new horizon. That third element is exactness. Work that makes sense teaches us that visual devices translate information into exact behavior. That is its primary purpose, embedding and sustaining exactness through visual solutions. And this can only come about in a culture of free will, an eye-driven culture. The third element of enterprise excellence for creating the continuous improvement work culture I have sought for lifetime is exactness, the exactness that visuality and every other improvement method requires for its success. Exactness cannot be demanded. The level of exactness required for continuous improvement to become a a way of life at a company can only be given voluntarily through an act of free will. Free will, structure, and exactness are a shifting balance point. This is the new business paradigm that Galsworth offers us. This is an eye-driven enterprise. Once learned and operationalized, this paradigm allows the organization to take on anything, any new improvement effort, any new horizon. I have been a student of management for 30 years. I have read countless management books and gone to many, many seminars. I have never found a better, more powerful system of transformation than Galsworth's. That comes through on every page of this book. She does that better than anybody. Very nice. Thank you, Brent. (laughs) Yes, it's a really wonderful forward, but what's amazing is his interpretation of my work into these three components, which I do not write about, not in this way, structure, free will, and exactness. Free will, structure, and exactness. Exactness, free will, and structure. He calls it a new business paradigm. He's really saying, I think, this eye-driven approach is a new business paradigm. And I agree with every part of it. It is so wonderful to hear my work in, absorbed through a fresh mind and really turned into um, a conceptualization that I I have not articulated, but that Brent clearly sees. Again, you can reach Brent through Clear Aim Systems. You'll find him on LinkedIn. He is uh, 
not just an expert practitioner, he is wisdom itself. <laughs> not just because I like what he writes about me, but uh, everything about this um, this gentleman and this practitioner and this leader is compelling and true. Uh, what a great pleasure to work with him. Wonderful, 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 wonderful results that he got as well because of who he is and because of the work that I do. It was a very, very good fit. That's the first forward. But where there's one, there's always two with me. <laughs> so I'm now going to read the forward as we getting, we're getting closer to the book. Close, but no cigar yet. Yet I believe that the this is an important framework, important framing of, of the book. This one is from Rhonda Corvera, and you will know her because she is the CEO and co-founder of Visual Workplace, Inc., a company that specializes in visual workplace uh, tools, but these are uh, tools such as um, tape and her, her uh, oh, boy, I wish I could remember the name of it, but it's a wonderful cart where you can do your uh you can do your your addresses and prepare your borders. And she has all of that. She's like the 5S big store in the world. And a kinder, finer person you would never want to meet. She has shown me such kindness. Uh, it was completely natural for me to ask her to comment on this book. And this was, you know, nine years ago, nine, ten years ago. And this is what she writes. And it's a different perspective, different than what Brent had to write, but I think very well worth noting at the beginning of this journey that we're about to embark on. She says, 15 years ago, my business partner, David Stearns, and I took a deep breath and made a bold move. This is Rhonda Corvera. We started a company, Visual Workplace, Inc. By the way, my company, Gwendolyn's company, is called Visual Workplace, Oh, my website is called visualworkplace.com. Her website is called visualworkplaceinc.com. <laughs> Clever woman. <laughs> so we made a bold move. We started a company, Visual Workplace Inc., in order to provide products and services to companies wanting to go visual. At the time, and like so many other companies, we made the early mistake of thinking that visual was the same as 5S. Then we figured it out. Please don't get me wrong, writes Rhonda. Please don't get me wrong. 5S is a very important first step on every company's journey to enterprise excellence. But I worry when I search the internet for what's new in the visual workplace, and the little I find is nearly always under 5S, everywhere. 5S is the first thing companies think of when we talk to them about visuality, and we find that many of them shy away from even using the word visual workplace because they think they are being redundant. They think it is the same as saying 5S. That is why we are so delighted with Gwendolyn's new book, Work That Makes Sense. It doesn't just define what a visual workplace is. It shows you step by step by step how to transform your company into a visual work environment. It describes in detail tools, 
processes and outcomes that are so far beyond what is understood as the visual approach by most people that I feel sure that anyone who reads this book will never confuse 5S and visual again. They will know that workplace visuality, Gwendolyn's term, will build your safety, quality, and on-time delivery specifications directly into the work environment, that visual devices will let you spot abnormalities at a glance, that visual solutions will build standard work and your KPIs into daily operations, and much, much more. Work that makes sense represents an opportunity for all organizations, not just manufacturing, to apply some extraordinary concepts to their workplace, to their workplaces, including service professions, education, and healthcare. The tools and concepts in this book provide operators, the experts, with concrete ways to improve their own workplace in a way they can and want to be responsible for. Whether you are an operator, nurse, mechanic, or teacher, the common sense practices in this book and hundreds of common sense examples will show you what a visual workplace is and how to apply it to your own world. In fact, I think you will discover in this book or already know what David and I discovered so many years ago. The visual workplace is its own distinct approach to excellence with its own distinct benefits and its own distinct implementation methodologies. Yes, you are right. The visual workplace is not the same as 5S. It is greater than that, and it is greater by far than a place for everything and everything in its place. But even more, You are right in recognizing your own 5S efforts will slide back into disorganization. They will fail without the visual workplace. I'd like to say this again. This is still Rhonda. I'd like to say this again. No matter how much a company tries, it will never be able to sustain its 5S outcomes if it does not get visual. In fact, around my company, we say, you won't get lean until you get visual. And we are so convinced of that, that that has become our company motto. And that's a little scary because we're really saying that a company will fail at lean if it doesn't implement the visual workplace But that is also what we mean. In a way, David and I have a selfish reason for wanting you to read Gwendolyn's book, Work That Makes Sense. Visual Workplace, my company, now provides systems that allow a company to create its own visuals in-house and on-demand for a fraction of the cost to buy them. David and I want to take that much further We want to offer companies do-it-yourself tools to get and stay visual, to embed and sustain lean gains through visuality. Yet until our customers understand that there is a much further, that there is much further to go, we cannot really do that. To go much further, we need a new horizon. And it seems the only way for us to get a new horizon is to make one. We are convinced that this book will go a long way in helping that to happen. 
Ah, oh, wonderful. This is from Rhonda Corvera, CEO and co-founder of Visual Workplace, Inc. <laughs> in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Her website is visualworkplaceinc.com. Mine is visualworkplace.com. Thank you, Rhonda. Thank you. I think that is a good framework for getting us ready for this book. It's a good book. I mean, I'm so completely delighted to have had the opportunity to write it. I want to say, I want to read a few paragraphs from my acknowledgments, my thank yous, which are at the beginning of the book and right after Rhonda's wonderful foreword. So these are my acknowledgments and then it's followed by pages and pages of people's names. It doesn't just group them together, it names them. And I will mention some of these but uh, not so much so that you actually uh, turn the dial. <laughs> so acknowledgments, this is, these are my words now. This is a book for and about value-add associates, you. Oh, and by the way, I want to say that the you in this book is a very um, recurrent pronoun because I wrote this book for operators There are sections of the book that are management-focused, but the book is, the you in the book is value-add associates. So I'll begin again. This is a book for you, beg your pardon. This is a book for and about value-add associates, you. And I have waited nearly 20 years to write it. I could not have written it sooner because I did not know enough about visuality, about the workplace, or about you. Now I do. This book is my gift of thanks to you. Any of its errors are my own and no reflection on that thanks. After 25 years of working with you side by side, sharing what I know, learning what you shared, I can only say it has been magical and rewarding beyond measure. Thank you. I hope the pages of this book capture some of my respect and affection for you and my abiding gratitude. All in all, I feel the luckiest of people. I work in a field I love, and besides encountering brilliant visual thinkers everywhere I go, there are people in my life who are willing to help me with that work. And now I'm going to name a few of them. That's me talking now, not written First and foremost, Aurelia Navarro, my esteemed editor. Aurelia has the skills and judgment in her field that allow me to excel in mine. One could not, one could want no more from an editor, except that she is also a friend who supports my work as though it were her own. If I thought Aurelia's medal had been tested on my previous books, This one, work that makes sense, set a new definition of against all odds. The details shall remain quiet, but my thanks can only be loud and long. Aurelia, without you, this book could never, never have happened. Thank you. Also of enormous help were Angela Willis and Mindy Garlington of Prince Sink in Oregon. You came through for us again and again. Brooke Kirkland, who was our brilliant and praise the Lord 
enduring cheerful graphic designer. You took over this project at the 11th minute of the 11th hour and made it into a great work of beauty. And to you, I give thanks who allowed me to enter your companies and assist on your journey to workplace visuality. Thank you. Your vision got me started. Your resolve held things fast when the continuous improvement road got bumpy, as it seems to always get bumpy. But it was your willingness to take on a new paradigm on your journey to excellence, workplace visuality, for which I am enduringly grateful. You are the the pioneers. In particular, Pratt & Whitney and Hamilton Standard in Connecticut, Clark Shea and Al Lappin, John Christian, Tom Dancy, Mike Feltrin, John Gunn, Stanley Mickens, Richard Scorsavava. Oh, I practiced this. I practiced saying his word before I came on today and I blew it. Richard Scorsavava, Gordy, Tom Cormier, Cynthia Matroni, Teresa Paul, Brad Slater, Jan Yago Yacovoni, <laughs> I, I remember you so well, Howard Ferrar, Ed Bray, and the entire Pratt & Whitney Hamilton Standard team. We did great, this is me speaking now, we did great work together. We saved this plant. You may remember my story about the CNC machine and the great CNC center and the fact that the colonel came through and when the plant was going to be closed by UTC in six months and he said, you know what? He was standing on, uh, it was a Mandeli machining center. He he was leaning on this uh, signpost that had the before and after of the unit as it went into the Mandeli and what it looked like when it came back, when it came out. And the colonel leaned, leaned against this uh, a stand-up sign and said, this visual indicator, I'll use the correct language, and said, you know what? I've been going to three other competitor of your competitors. They have the same quality, the same process, and the same lead time. But I'm going to give this project to you. I'm going to give this project to you because you see this sign here? You see the, these two pictures? And it says before and after Mandeli machining. I feel smarter here. I feel smarter. I'm going to give you the contract. (laughs) Uh, You can find the full story under Charlie's table. Uh, I think I call that episode Leave the Grumblers Alone. It was about 20 shows back, but it has Charlie's Table, I think, in the title or in the write-up, and you can get the full story of what happened with the colonel and what happened after that, because, man, did we have a lot of things to learn. So I thank you all so, so much. And I also thank United Electric Controls. I have the list of 300 employees Almost. I have a list of all of the people who were working there. Dave Reese, who owned it, Harvey Chambers, Paul Plant, Bob Rando, Fred Ritzoff, Lee Sacco, Bruce Hamilton, who now runs Greater Boston Manufacturing Partnership, Annie Yu, Maureen Hamilton, who ended up marrying Bruce, Pat Wardwell, another superstar, Bill Antunas, John Pacheco, Pacheco. Louis Cantadio, 
Michael Holmes, oh my goodness, Beverly Scabilia, Mildred Williams, Randy Campbell, Cindy Barter. She did this this great overhead address that had she and all the suppliers driver license level address that gave us her name and gave us her extension and her email and told us all the things that she was responsible for buying so you could know at a glance that she wasn't the person you were looking for. All the suppliers did it. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant visuality. Just makes your heart sing. Maria Elena Gabriel, Randy Campbell, Teresa Carroll, Carlos Chavez, Bob Camo. Oh, Bob Camo, a brilliant natural visual thinker. He had been doing visuality long before, practically long before I was born. He was just a natural visual thinker. Mike Contardo, Tony Cruz, Maureen DeRusso, George Farrar. Dan Fleming, who now works for Greater Boston Manufacturing Partnership. He was an engineer then, and he's he learned a lot. He learned a lot. We did a lot of great things together. Joan Hurton, Doug Kuntz, Dougie Kuntz, who, who hated 5S. Dougie Kuntz, who said to John Pacheco, if you say 5S again, they used to go out and smoke on the porch together. If you say 5S again to me, John Pacheco, I'm going to put my fist through your mouth, it's going to come out your feet. (laughs) He was so fed up. And John said, but Dougie, 5S is wonderful. (laughs) And at that point, Doug said, okay, I give up. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go in and I'm going to sit in on a meeting of the operators. It's called the steering team. And if I hate it as much as I No, I will. Will you promise to never talk to me about this again? Oh, sure, Dougie. Sure, said John Pacheco. (laughs) Dougie went into the meeting, and within 20 minutes, he said, hey, I want to be a member of this team. (laughs) He just switched like a light bulb. He just switched on, and he became, you know, one of those wonderful visual fanatics, visual thinking fanatics. (laughs) That was a great story. And it's the truth. Oh, so many others. Jesse MacArthur, Cheryl O'Connor, Lilia Orozco, Janet Prescott, John Mandelo. I remember John. He was a brilliant engineer along with Jerry Yes. Oh, I can never say this word. Yeskoskas and Ed Velosco. I'm just going to move on. Cindy Allen. Oh, wonderful, wonderful people. Wonderful. Manny Pereira, the maintenance guy. Yeah. Terry Souza. Yeah. The whole team. And Fleet Engineers in Michigan and their sister company, Lee Industries. Wes Eklund was the owner. Brett Balcoma, we actually hired with Wes's uh, permission. Tim Alt, wonderful visual thinkers. Greg Hancock, Gary Buys, who invented double border function. He invented double border function. He had one border going one way for one kind of whip, incoming whip, and another border on a slight angle, quite a direct angle from that. He worked down at the end of the welding process, 
And he said, I want to be able to see the model change. There was an A model and a B model. And he set it up, two boarders sitting on top of each other, spoke to the forklift driver and said, would you please, when you have the A model, face it this way. And when you have the B model, face it this way so I can get my tools ready and I'll have line of sight and I'll see that change. I, I really love this visual stuff and I want to be in control of my corner of the world. Will you help me? And the guy said, yeah, you know, if it's important to you, I'll do it. And he did it. <laughs> and this was the first double border function on the planet. I am certain of it. There is no doubt in my mind. Yeah, Gary buys so many, many great, great operators and the entire fleet and Lee Industries team. Wonderful, wonderful. Craig Toby. Kenny Kane, my goodness. And then Denison Hydraulics, extensive visual conversion. The plant was falling apart because the operators hated the engineers and the engineers hated the operators and there was no bones about it. This was not hidden. Ken Tice asked me to come in. I did it through the University of Dayton and Carol Shaw, who was sponsoring my work. And he said, just get people to stop hating each other if you don't mind. I'm trying to run a business here and your work is supposed to be about cultural change. So would you please do it? It was very elegant. And I said, sure, sure, but I never promised to do that. Joe Lenahan led that charge. Steve Harvey was the coordinator. Bill Cornell was a very, very important mover and shaker on the shop floor. Paul Baker, full of creativity. And the wonderful operators, Dorothy Wald. Dorothy Wald, you know, during the first week of, <laughs> during the first week after we began the training, somebody poured paint thinner into her potted plant, a potted plant that she and Sheila Bowersmith, a brilliant, brilliant um, CNC machinist, were nurturing along in this windless, airless, uh, uh, no sunshine place. They were nurturing this little potted plant along, and they killed it. The, the, the stuff killed it. It was done in secret, and the little plant just drooped. And when I heard about it, I told you this story. I went to Ken Tice. I knocked on his door. Mr. Tice, Mr. Tice. He was the GM. I, I need to talk to you. He said, yeah, sit down, sit down. You look very upset. I said, well, there's been a murder in your plant. And he said, what? I said, yes. Someone has killed the potted plant that Dorothy and Sheila were nursing into life. He said, I know that plant. That's what he said. His response was, are you crazy? Don't frighten me like this, Gwendolyn. It's not murder. It's a plant. He said instead, I know that plant. (laughs) He went out on the floor. He just marched out of the room. And he said in the middle of the floor, nobody kills anything in my company. And and that was it. He, he told everybody, and everyone heard him, and they knew what it was about because they were waiting to see if we cared, if we noticed, if we would go to bat, if we would protect. I mean, it was an automatic for me, but I didn't know what Ken would say when I marched in there. And that was the beginning of this huge change. And 
three and a half years later, Parker Hannifin came through this plant. They were doing high-precision hydraulic pumps, and they decided to acquire it because flow had been established where there was no lean. Visuality will establish flow. That is its purpose, to take the struggle out. It won't help you with your macro flow, but it will help you with the flow on the cell or departmental level, and then you've got to do the work of lean to connect up that flow and create pull. Remember, Ono said, flow where you can, pull where you must. Flow is the higher dimension. Pull is compensating. It's um, remedial. If flow can't happen, then put in the technology of, of pull. Oh, dear. Mel Foreman, Mark Bell. My God. James Justice, who was a preacher on the weekend, he was about four four feet 11. But what a dynamo he was. He was full of belief and conviction and sweetness. And Ron and, Ron and Judy Lake, oh, you see, I have two more pages. Should I tell you these stories? I'm going to tell you stories from each one of them because I want you to get a flavor of what of why I'm saying thank you to these people. These people were themselves, and they agreed to take on, when they were ready, to take on the thinking that I call visual thinking and to try it on for size and see if they liked it, and they liked it a great deal, and they did it, and I learned so much from them, so much from them. You know, I can't not... Thank people by their names. So, we have begun the reading of this book, and uh, we today went through the forward from Brent Allen, which gives you one perspective, and another from Rhonda Corvera, and we began with my poem, with the poem from Pablo Neruda, which for me captures what operator-led visuality is about. It's about ignition, ignition of what is already there, something ignited in my soul, fever or unremembered wings, and I went my own way, deciphering that burning flame. And I wrote the first, bare line, bare foolishness, bare nothing, and the heavens opened. This is the way it is when we liberate operators by, liber- by showing them how to liberate information. We do the same thing with CEOs and supervisors. But I have tremendous affection for the operators because they're at the bottom of the power structure. They're at the bottom of the power structure. This is heroic work. I want to thank you very, very much for listening. I am thrilled at our, our joint decision <laughs> that we're going to do it this way. I thought it might be a little bit dry, but I can see it's not going to be dry (laughs) at all. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I wish you a wonderful, satisfying, rewarding, magical journey to wherever you're going. Let workplace visuality be a part of that journey. Let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.